Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. Today, Kirk and I are going to talk about the evolution of the advisor brand. Now, I want everybody to remember that uh, Kirk Lowe is the branding expert in our company. Uh, I'm going to add some color here and there, but uh, the the way that he has built this whole evolution out is really fascinating. Uh, I'm really excited about seeing what each of these different levels are and how he strings all of this together. So, Kirk, let's jump right in, dude. What What's a... Where did this come from first before we uh, dive into each of these levels about the evolution of an advisor's brand? I I hate it when you ask me where stuff comes from because I have not a clue. I I literally grab a blue um, dry erase marker. I head over to my <laughs> whiteboard, which I've which I've explained before is mm-hmm. one of my most favorite possessions because it's eight by four, eight feet by four feet. <laughs> It's 32 square feet of wonderfulness. <laughs> and when it's empty, I like it when it's full, when it's empty. Anyway, um, I just started writing what, you know, what's been, what really interests me. And I think I've been really, uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about where branding has come. Like where, you know, when I, I've been in the business now for 20 years and really over 20 years, um, really 23 years. Um, but owning this company for 20 years. And I've seen a lot, you know, a huge evolution from what advisors is doing. And, and in some ways, I haven't seen it evolve much at all, mm. which is kind of, you know, um, an interesting statement, I'm sure. I'm, I'm hoping what I'm going to bring up today is going to create some, some debate. I'm hoping that when I post this mm-hmm. on... Um, on LinkedIn or snippets that people engage in the conversation um, with us, because I think there's a lot of room to move stuff around. But what I've done is essentially created at this point, seven different, we'll call them levels, but um, maybe it's eras of, of um, advisor branding. And I've gone from one to seven, obviously. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to outline for us to have a discussion, you and I about, whether or not we, you know, what was going on in that era. So we'll call it the level one era. I know that's, I'm not sure if I'm framing that right, but at least it should be be easy to understand. So we'll start with level one. So level one, you know, when I first got into the business, branding was as simple as really a logo, a company name, uh, stationary and signage. It was, you know, I'm not even sure tagline was, was there yet. I think tagline, I had that in one, but I'm going to move it down a bit. But I think logo, company name, stationery, and signage. That's really what a brand was early on, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I agree with you 100%. In fact, to this day, uh, when when people ask me what you do for the company, I just say, well, Kirk helps you with your brand. They're like, oh, you know, he comes up with logos and stuff. And I'm just, it's like face palm, right? I'm like, oh, my God, really? Yeah. That's honestly what you think a freaking brand is? And that's a perfect example of what I just said, which is I'm in some ways it's evolved a lot. In some ways it hasn't evolved at all. Mm -hmm. It's mind blowing that, that, 
But part of the problem is, is that depending on what you do for a living or what your role in marketing is, there are people who will say, here's a brand identity guide, or I'm going to help you create your brand identity, which is a typically a graphic designer or design firm saying, we're going to give that brand an identity, visual, a visual identity. So they're not wrong, but then people interpret that the wrong way. But yeah, it's, it's crazy how many... Um, financial advisors still think that branding is a logo company name, stationary and signage. It's unreal. And, Mm -hmm. and you know what, we're responsible. Hopefully this podcast is going to help them. So um, not much to be on, on one. So two, we'll see if if you agree with everything here. So two, I've got um, five different things. First one is people started talking about value props and elevator speeches. I guess that's really one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what is it? You know, how do I position myself? What do I do? And I'm not sure early on value props were as much about differentiation as they were about clarity, helping people understand what you did as a financial advisor, understanding the role, understanding its implication on, on retirement, you know, which, which was a term that only came out, I think, in the 60s or 70s. Um, so, uh, so that was the first one. The second one was um, getting uh, public relations. So, you know, this is what I do and um, trying to get a, a stage, if you will, or a platform where they could say, well, here's here's what I do. But back then, Pierre was really about establishing what you did, uh, not necessarily points of differentiation or, or really is a brand defining uh, commentary. Um, so that, you know, and so there were different ways was the guest expert was one of them and then getting uh, articles published. This one may be kind of early, you know, I got it in level two, but maybe it was level three, but um, I put it here because I, re- I remember early on people trying to get, you know, uh, in papers, uh, be, be guests and stuff like that. So that's the second one. Uh, the third one was uh, print newsletters. Print newsletters were prevalent early on in, in, in financial planning in, in my experience. And um, early on, I thought they were more genuine, authentic. And then as advisors had less and less time, there were companies saying, hey, we can do this for you. Here's our template. Advisors loved it because it was time-consuming to do on their own, you know, creating their own content, finding the stories. And then, you know, so that really, print newsletters companies really took off at that point um, doing that. Um, Next was kind of complemented this, which was uh, letter campaigns. So people, um, you know, mailing a series of letters or letters about uh, times of the year or events. Bill Good had a huge impact on letter campaigns with his system. And then another guy who I uh, really enjoyed um, in those years, which is really the first five years, I would say, of my career or even, bef- um, you know, before pre-starting pre, uh, this company, was Jim Cecil. And he was really, he called it nurture marketing. And he was fantastic. Um, and both those guys had huge impacts on on my learning um, early on. Some branding people as well. but um, So that was level two. So I'll repeat those again. That was, you know, elevator speech, uh, elevator speech or pitch slash value proposition, um, then public relations, uh, print newsletters, and letter campaigns. Those are some of the things I remember back then. You know, just so you know, I still know advisors who use Bill Good's letter campaign to this day. In fact, he was a guest on this podcast, 
and he was one of the funniest guests we ever had. Phil is he, he knows so much. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. And but but the letter campaigns, in in my opinion, was really the beginning of content marketing. Right, that was yeah, keeping absolutely. top of mind in in to your clients by providing them with good information that's actionable. The problem with the letter campaigns back then, and both Bill and Jim did this, is they 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 pre-wrote everything, and they yeah. weren't advisors weren't sharing all their ideas and strategies. They were creating emotion and pain, and it was purely awareness and and emotion emotional engagement types of content. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, there was some um, you know IRS like taxes there were some there was definitely some education going on there but it was that wasn't the primary focus or the sole focus which it should be now mm-hmm. I, I would say well more so than 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 not but yeah that was a that's a great um insight Matt so that's level 2 uh print newsletters are still they're still humming along man and there's yeah. different versions of that concept um at play now too which comes up uh, in level 3 so now we're at level three. The first thing I really remember from level three is the websites and websites starting to get some recognition as a marketing vehicle for advisors. The uptake was, you know, slow but steady early on. And that's really where I started in the business actually was right around that stage, which was, you know, 20 years ago. And early on I was building websites and the biggest struggle that I had, one of the biggest epiphanies I've had in my career was that everybody sounded exactly the same with what the information they would want to put on their website. And they really struggled with writing that and articulating that. And they didn't really know who they were. Well, I'm just this. And it was what everybody expected them to say, what everybody else was saying. So there was no creativity uh, or barely any. And um, that's where I started realizing these guys need brands. And that's where I started teaching myself, you know, how to build brands for financial services. I had learned all that stuff in university, but that was a really big turning point for me as to what my company was going to be and why I'm a branding guy. It happened early in my career and it was struggling with websites. So the start of that, what I call the level three era for the evolution of advisor brands. So um, the tagline was really one of the things that came next. And I'd like to think that I had played a little bit of a part in that. There's other people, and I'll mention them in a second. Um, but the tagline, you know, what did your company stand for? I will say this, didn't have a lot of depth at that point. It was just coming up with something that sounded slick and kind of running with that and letting that kind of speak for itself, which wasn't really good marketing. But at the time, that's what was going on. Uh, the new the email email became more prevalent and that kind of replaced to a degree uh, didn't replace uh, print newsletters it was just another option an advanced option if you will uh, some of the traditional marketing uh, advisors you know wanted to stick with print but the same thing happened with email right whereas people started trying to write their own oh, this is going to be easier to do email so maybe I can get back into it but you know within the next you know couple of years, uh, the same thing happened with print as people were running email newsletters on behalf of advisors and they got really boring and cookie cutter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which happens, you know, to this day. 
Um, we know some good email marketing people who are doing that actually have good businesses. Um, seminars uh, really kicked off in level three, which was, you know, the start of advisors doing content marketing to a degree. The difference was, is that it was content marketing quickly followed by hard push and sales, right? And there were some advisors who evolved their, their, their seminars into being more educational. And that's how they marketed them because they realized that consumers were picking up that this was just an opportunity for you to sit there for me to feed you. And you feel some sense of obligation to me to start selling to you. Right. Mm -hmm. So when they started picking up on that, those evolved, the seminar evolved into a more educational platform, you know, levels of uh, level four, I would say, but early on, um, you could do more selling. You could, you know, when we did seminars, we would hire a big name, uh, media, a financial media person, right. Who was writing across the country who had their own radio show at the time. And we would leverage their name to draw people in. They would tee up the advisor as, as the best person in the, in the area to do financial and get financial planning done for them. Stuff like that it was really huge. You remember those days? I do. I do. So, um, so seminars, then, then personal branding started to kick off here too. When they realized, you know, who am I in a seminar? Am I differentiating, differentiating myself and personal branding had a huge push in our industry from a guy named Peter Montoya. And I, I loved what he was doing at the time. Um, like any company, when you try to replicate and manufacture it, I think you lose um, you, you, you have the, the possibility, I guess, of losing your way. And I felt like that the personal brand got a little bit too much into people's personal lives instead of what they could offer as far as their expertise. So it went a little bit too far on the personal side, um, which isn't a bad thing. We still want to do that with social media when you're doing podcasting, let people into your world. But the whole brand, more of the brand was based on that personal side versus who they are as a thought leader. And so I, I slowly um, didn't enjoy that as much, and I kind of used that as a leverage point to differentiate myself in, in branding, um, which is where I started probably in level four or five, where I started realizing that in order to have a brand, you need to, need to be based on your thought leadership and who you were as a, as a person, too, but you had to prove it. That's where, where I started introducing, I'm kind of off on a tangent here, sorry everybody, but that's where I started introducing the idea of brand depth, which is, okay, if you say you're this, now prove it. Okay, here's a white paper, here's a, you know, and now what we're doing, which is a podcast, but the back then it was write a blog post, right? Um, it was things like that, you know, prove, I show that you have a financial planning process, things like that. Well, improving, so, improving I'm sorry, let me jump in there, but, but. Proof back then in level three, so you're like level five and six, right, where you're going right there with this proof. Back yeah. then, the only way that you could prove your expertise was to drop 10 Gs a month on a PR company to get on the local news. Yes. I mean, you could have a seminar, but that didn't, that wasn't a lot of credibility because everybody knows that was a sales vehicle. Sure. Um, so you're right. They had to go back into level two stuff, which was, you know, pretty much PR. Yep, radio shows that you're, you know, you've yep. got a huge spend on, you know, getting on your local news and local newspapers and stuff like that. Yeah, I forgot radio. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so radio is part of PR back in that level two. We can always edit these things to make me sound smarter, like I don't forget stuff, but I do, so let's leave it here. 
the, um, yeah, to, so, dude, we, we don't edit any of that stuff for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll say we ought to have from time to time. But, um, so level three is, you know, ads, things like that. We're starting to push out. And ads were really a big part of pushing seminars. So putting an ad in a paper, putting that, you know, local paper, larger paper, uh, you know, doing ads on, uh, on radio, things like that. Those became you know, pretty big then. And and the idea there was that you could start leveraging your website a little bit by pushing them back to the website because that was really your biggest, you know, the website, even though I'm saying the website was how you proved your brand, you know, or, or sorry, papers and PR were how you proved your brand. Really, website was part of that, right? It was, oh, I'm an advisor. I have my own website. And that had some some depth or credibility to it. So people didn't think they needed to take it further. But um, that quickly evolved, and that's where I kind of built my uh, my company and my expertise around. So that's level three again: websites, taglines, emails, email newsletters, seminars, personal branding, and ads. So level four is where we start to see some of the brand depth stuff kick in, and where technology starts to have uh, an even greater impact on how advisors are marketing. So level four is blogging. Right, advisors were thinking, you know what, I got to have my own blog, and I would say that the uptake of people who started blogging wasn't really huge, and I'll tell you why: because everybody started, stopped, and failed pretty quick. And I, and I know this because for years I was trying to help advisors start blogs, and inevitably they got hot, they got started, then they go cold, get back to it, and you can't do that if you're building. Trying to build an audience to listen to your thought leadership, you have to do it with frequency and consistency. And if you can't do that, it's very difficult to build a listenership because they realize you're just in it when it's good for you. If that makes sense. It does. And not only does it make sense, but it, it's showing commitment, right? And that that's where after this this level here, and when you start in you know, talking about you know content marketing. The people who are consuming that content want to know that you're in it with them, right? It's a mutual commitment. If I'm going to commit to you, I want you to commit to me too. Right. Well, isn't marketing just a highly visible um, microcosm of how you're going to run your business anyway? It's supposed to be, right? Like it should be. I mean, if, if you're really organized in your business, why you would probably be that way in your marketing. If you're really, if you really invest in stuff in your company, you'd probably be the same kind of person who would invest in marketing and vice versa. So that's one of the things I don't think a lot of advisors, it's not just advisors, it's business people get in general, which is that when you're showing your professionalism and your value, it's usually across multiple platforms and, and you know engagements and things that your company does, not just a couple. You can't just be good in a couple areas and have a really successful business, typically. I know you can in this business from time to time. Some people just have the charisma or they have a network. You know, they're politically connected. They're connected to a big company and they just run with those things and they, they run half good businesses and have a lot of success. I get that. Sure. Uh, that's not what people are looking and need to do these days. Definitely. So what else is in level four? So that, so that was, that was about blogging and commitment and, but, but there are some other pieces in level four where things started to, in the evolution of an of the advisor's brand, it things are starting to look more like they are now, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting turn started happening 
Uh, not necessarily a, a great one, as it turns out, but um, a prevalent one for sure, which is content libraries. And, um, you know, there, we have Bill Good, Jim Cecil, Peter Montoya, all those guys, you know, had contributed to this evolution to a degree, right? And, and Peter Montoya ended up having the marketing library, I think it was called, marketinglibrary.net or marketing, something like that. And, you know, and there were Broadridge and um, all kinds of companies who had these huge content libraries. Now, we almost partner with a large one um, in Rochester or somewhere like that years ago. Yeah, huge content, huge content market. I couldn't believe these guys were doing like 25 million in content marketing. It's massive for healthcare and financial. Anyway, so content libraries and then content libraries evolved right into not just having articles that you could use for your newsletter or post, you know, on your LinkedIn channel or, you know, send out in a letter or whatever you're going to do. They have it started having videos, right, that you could use to talk about topic, you know, planning topics. Uh, things like that. So content libraries made a huge impact because advisors who couldn't be consistent with a blog, right? They grabbed, they grabbed all those people because they said, look, you don't have to be a writer. you be a financial advisor. We'll share all of the expertise that we presume, you know, right? And then content libraries got huge. And guess what? Everybody knows you didn't write 1200 articles. And when they go to your website and they see that you have 1,200 articles, those 1,200 articles aren't on a niche focus, that's for sure. So I felt like those content libraries got way out of hand. I felt like content libraries really missed a mark of helping advisors understand a niche. And I don't, and the niche probably started happening in this phase too. And it wasn't being, things weren't being connected, right? So the idea of finding a niche and marketing to that niche. Um, wasn't really working that good. Niche kind of happened throughout this to a degree, but probably stopped, started getting more prevalent when people started realizing that there being you can't be everything to everybody and think that your marketing is going to work. Webinars became more uh, big, you know, during this era, the level four era as well, which was uh, because of technology. Right, I didn't have to spend as much money. Is there a cheaper way to do seminars? Seminars have been successful for years. Maybe they start being a little less successful because there's so much competition. And so people are trying to find other ways. How do I reduce my cost? How to make this more uh, efficient, you know, for my client and myself, maybe people don't want to come. Maybe all the people would come to a seminar. I've, I've uh, saturated that market. Maybe I need to find people who, you know, want to find a different way, things like that. Um, online courses started to be, you know, online courses or courses in universities started to pick up too. I know, you know a bunch of advisors who were trying to get in to teach classes instead of doing seminars. So they went from the sales oriented seminar to the half educational, half sales, now all the way to purely educational. And I know advisors who built really great businesses getting in and teaching courses where they don't sell themselves. They said it's unbelievable how many people. When I established myself as the expert who I didn't sell to will come to me and say, well, you're the one who taught me this. So why wouldn't I go to you? And that to me, I, I mean, that was as recent. One of the guys who I've seen have a lot of success in that. I met at a conference in Vegas not too long ago and we were out for dinner and he was just telling me about the evolution of his, of that. And it, it's unbelievable how much of an impact that, that type of approach, that thought leadership approach 
head in his business over the years. And that, and he had told me he had 6,000 people over like 10 years who had gone through his course. Wow. And, you know, he was frustrated at the time because he's like, I haven't leveraged this well enough, but it was so good that he didn't at the time need to. But then he wanted to uh, after it all happened. So we were talking about how to do that. Hmm. Anyway, that's a pretty cool story. But, yeah. you know, a guy, you know, somebody being leading edge in that regard and how much of an impact that marketing tactic, being a thought leader, different platform that he used. But man, with, with the platforms we have available now, you can reach way more people on their terms for free, you know, for free from them because he was charging people to come to this course. So, um, so that was the end of level four. I know that we can pull and move stuff around here. It's going to be people that say niche marketing really happened way earlier. Um, but that's fine. That's a good, you know, well, but if, to reach out and say hi or keep it to yourself, whatever you want to do. But well, hold on there. Uh, I don't want them to keep it themselves. Well, I don't either. I'd, I'd love for this to be a, a conversation because I don't believe that it was part of the greater consciousness of financial services professionals. There were absolutely people who figured that out early on in their personal evolution, but in the evolution of advisor brand across the whatever, 300,000 advisors, I definitely think it was much later in the process. I think that niche marketing really evolved from um, special advisors, like advisors who were so savvy as business owners that they they either stumbled upon or figured out through the resourcefulness that if they went after a certain vertical, they could indeed infiltrate and have a lot of success. And I think it was more that than it was marketers coming in and pitching that. And, and from my experience, you know, the advisors who had done that, they weren't, um, they did, they weren't people who, they were people who did that on their own, mm-hmm. right? They figured it out. Uh, maybe they had read a book or read an article or something like that inspired them, but they were really figuring out that they're being very resourceful on their own. Well, and I, I think that part of it was, advanced client segmentation or client segmentation, because you would start really diving into your book of business as a business owner. And I think my old boss was one of the first people who really brought that to the masses uh, from a financial advisor perspective when when he would say, hey, look, you need to dive in and see who, you know, what your top clients have in common all of the sudden. And he did that with what he referred to as passion prospecting. But now we're looking at it a lot more in this evolution of that, you know, because that was a good 10, 15 years ago. Now we're looking at it as, okay, now how do you bring that as a niche? Right. And that was peak systems. And that was uh, Ron Carson. Yeah. You're you're referring to when you were one of his lead coaches. So, um, I'm, I'm throwing that in there because we're going to tag that, right? Because oh, we we're talking about, this is another tactic for everybody listening. Sometimes mm-hmm. you include people. You think you're bringing up competitors. What you're doing is you're engaging their audiences when you throw a tag in your LinkedIn thing about your podcast. Well, and, and honestly, he changed everything for advisors, yeah. right? And so, uh, you, you know, I, I I still have, and you know this, Kirk, because I bring it up all the time. I just have so much absolute respect for what he's built and, and you know, what he's contributed to Absolutely. from an advisor standpoint. Okay. so okay, uh, Well, thanks. Uh, level, are we done with level four? <laughs> we on to level five? 
Level five, yes. All right, hit I, me. I have some fun there. We haven't laughed yet in this one. So I have. You haven't. I've giggled a oh, few yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm dialed in, baby. So <laughs> Go ahead. Level five, I have is the only thing I have in level five is the advent of video and YouTube and social media and then how people were leveraging those on their website. Remember when it was really, really cool to have uh, your social feed on your website? Oh, totally. Thing? Yeah. You know what I haven't talked about, which is unbelievable because it was one of my biggest pet peeves my entire career, is calculators on websites. That was credibility. <laughs> I know. I remember that. That's, I'm serious. That's one of my biggest pet peeves ever in my entire career is when advisors would put calculators on their sites, not one calculator that was specific to a niche thing they wanted to accomplish, which actually might have made sense, but it was every calculator and it was like, isn't this what you're hiring me to do? Like, why are these here? Am I, is it self-directed financial planning? I don't get it. Right. Um, it was worse than having the same articles on everybody's website, having those calculators. My mind. Anyway. Well, hold right. on. My biggest pet peeve was cause you're talking about level five with video here mm-hmm. was when you would go onto a website and like the dude or the lady would walk from off screen to on screen and immediately start talking to you and you couldn't stop it. That drove me crazy. <laughs> there were some really bad videos. Um, and the thing about video is I don't think anybody was really properly tamed, trained, although, you know, lighting professionalism, they got up there and sounded like every other advisor, which was the worst thing to do in my opinion. But I guess if you were in a certain area where people weren't even educated on using an advisor, it had some merit. But as far as, you know, telling people what you really did and how you were different and what you cared about, your purpose and your why, things like that, advisors typically didn't do a great job of that. Or if they did, they were they, they dabbled in it so lightly that it didn't really get the job done. And or they just weren't good on camera. You know, and I, I've... I've seen so many advisors record those types of videos that were in the garbage in a year. And if they weren't, they should have been because advisors, you know, marketing people are screaming at them, please take this off your website. It's, it's not good. Um, and one of the first videos I did like that was for a guy in Des Moines and he wanted to just get up there and add a little bit. And I was like, no, 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 not on my watch. Not if I'm involved, I hired a video company. We did some incredible light. This guy had an incredible office, which didn't hurt the videos. And he had a lot of charisma. But I created a system of cue cards. And I sat at the back of the room and I said, this is what you're going to say. I, I rehearsed it with him. I made him bel- I made it be stuff and jargon that he believed in so that he would be comfortable with it. Uh, and then I sat at the back of the room and I threw a clip, just like you would on, a, on like the Tonight Show or something like that, right, where they're cueing you. We didn't have a teleprompter. But I just sat there and flipped cards. And man, this was a lot of years ago. And it was a killer video. Like we did, a, we did, I think, three or four of them. And they were, fan, they were absolutely fantastic. And hmm. I know he ran with those for years. But they were focused on differentiating him. They were about, um, you know, his brand and things like that. And they were huge. Um, albeit they weren't, they didn't last a long time because he got trouble with the SEC and that was all she wrote for him. (laughs) Well, I want to talk a little bit more about this, this kind of integration piece that you're talking about, because one of the pieces when it comes to to video and integrating all of the stuff on your website with social plugins and things like that is there are still financial advisors out there who don't have responsive websites. 
So if you go to their website, it doesn't work on your tablet or your phone. We're we're this is the evolution of the brand, but but this is the evolution of technology, and we're going to start talking a little bit more and get a little bit more deeper and utilizing technology and in, in what what Kirk is going to go to here. But everybody, if you're if you have a website that you can't look at on your phone that you have to like swipe in or or pinch in or pinch out to read. Please, please, please dump that website as soon as possible because like 60% of web searches are now done on mobiles. I'm so glad you just said that because I missed that. Responsive websites was a huge evolution because advisors really had to go from doing it themselves or using small uh, web shops to these big ones. Compliance also drove that too, right? Compliance went crazy. I got to write compliance in here. When did compliance go crazy? Since the dawn of time. No, man. No way. Compliance has always been there, but compliance went really um, crazy, I think so, probably in level five, which is really in in the 2000s. This this one, we could debate a lot. I do remember getting rejections and stuff like that or learning from that earlier. Um, but the, the, the thing about compliance now is that the fear and the reality that, uh, with, with technology advances in marketing technology or MarTech is that so many advisors were in so many more places, right. And it could all be captured, right. It wasn't like you were sending out, you know, letter campaign to 5,000 people. Now the whole world could see what you were doing. So the, the implications or the the level of the implication that something could go wrong, how wrong could go, escalated, you know, a million times. Yeah. For, for so, I don't know if that was in level five, but around that that stage, and you know, being able to do video and throw it on YouTube, that was part of the advent of that. You know, that contributed to that for sure. Um, so for level five, I've got video, um, social media, um, responsive websites and compliance and social media I had under video, but really it's, it's its own category. Yeah. Social media, um, early on compliance regulations made people develop tools right away. Cause everybody said, no, you're not using social media. People still did. Advisors still did, you know, here and there, but until those systems were in place and compliance was running that, uh, social didn't really start to take off. But the problem was, is when social started to take off, and you know well because you wrote a book about it, right? The the Bible for social media for financial advisors like 10 years ago? Yeah. When did you write that? What year? Uh, eight years ago. Only eight years ago. Wow. Only eight years ago. Dude, uh, the, the, the funny thing about that is, uh, we were we were before our time I mean, when Crystal and I wrote that book. It was, I mean, Crystal and I were were talking about things that that compliance ended up squashing, and then they said okay. And I mean, it was it was just nuts, man. Um, yeah, so it was the craziest thing about writing that book is, and when we're talking about evolution, and you've told me this many times, is how quickly stuff in that book became stalemated, right? That needed yeah. to be changed because. Social media, compliance, everything was evolving so fast. But there's still a lot of really great points in that book about like fundamental things that have never changed. Um, so, but that was one of the scary things. I'm sure when you were writing, you were thinking, man, how long is this screenshot of you know this LinkedIn yeah. 
information, you know, going to be relevant. But um, that's the thing about social media is that that stuff changes, but how you leverage it, that hasn't really changed that much. No. Right. No, and even even the, the the content stuff that we talked about, uh, yeah. you know, utilizing things like like the the search algorithms and the advertising and all of the things that Crystal and I talked about in the book uh, are still absolutely one hundred percent applicable today. It's it's just the screenshots themselves, uh, the the user interfaces change so much. Okay, so that's level five. Let's start talking about like the future of the evolution. Like where where do we see things evolving towards yeah i think we're at the we're really at the advent of the next era and that is uh podcasting because it's such an incredibly versatile medium and because it's been one of those mediums for like globally or or historically that has had a really um what's the right word steady growth Mm -hmm. it's not trendy not fatty it, um, it's had a really steady growth, which I think is speaks a lot to it. But marketers and advertisers are starting to recognize, and I've said this, we said this at nauseum, that podcasting is the holy grail of communication because it's so intimate. And, you know, look at us, you know, having fun, showing our personality, talking about the things that we know that we don't always, you know, spend the time to write articles on. We try to do that too, but... Um, it's a, it's a wonderful platform, right? You you can be listening to us hands free in your car uh, while you're cooking dinner, uh, while you're having a glass of wine in the back porch, get you know some time to kill, commuting to or from your car, train, whatever it is you're taking, uh, while you're on a plane, you know, flying to business meetings, maybe, maybe not, hopefully not vacation, but you know sometimes that's when advisors do their best thinking for work is when they're on vacation, right? Um, and they actually you know if they enjoy it and it relaxes them, that's fine, but you know. Podcasting, you know, is really at the advent of making a, a dent. Um, video is still there, right? It's evolving. Uh, there's other things that are evolving in, in this level six, but podcasting is a huge one. Um, multimedia platforms that make you better at social media are evolving and or digital marketing. So, um, you know, there's companies like, you know, there's MarTech companies like, HubSpot and things like that, you know, and there's, there's CRMs and that are, you know, really popular with uh, really popular financial planning industry, like Redtail and Salesforce and other that are, that have all the way have made their own advancements in technology to help your marketing be better. But a company I've noticed advisor stream and what they're doing, they're finding different ways, although kind of have some old school kind of, um, rules to them that are creating uh, a difference for advisors and making it easier, but still authentic to a degree, uh, ways to connect with, with their audience. Um, snappy, snappy crack and just won an award, um, with wealth management or Informa, um, and their, their big gal they had last week. And, um, I'm sure Robert Sophia is uh, super proud of earning that. So that was a big deal for them. And Snappy Kraken is really a, a marketing, a digital marketing platform that allows you to create campaigns and set stuff that hits people on like an omnipresent level, right? Social, email, connected to your website, um, events, things like that. So he's got a really cool system for doing that. And that's just one of those things. There are other systems, but these people are, you know, people that we know uh, are familiar with their systems. 
Um, and, you know, podcasting can play a huge role in those systems, right? One of the things that podcasting has done, and we talked about this just before we get on the call, is if, if Matt and I and our company, Top Advisor Marketing, can make podcasting, can make a, an impact on how many advisors embrace podcasting and push it out to the world, we feel like we're trying, we're kind of, we're partially responsible uh, and maybe this is being a little bit arrogant, but we want to be more responsible for being historically significant in changing the mindsets and how advisors communicate with clients. Absolutely. Pod- yeah. Enough said. <laughs> I just absolutely. Uh, that That's uh, our whole focus in, in life is for us to. Uh, put, help advisors get their voice out in the marketplace, right? And, and that—that's it. I mean, you can do it with us, which we'd love. Uh, but but if you don't, then download our white paper on how to start your own financial podcast, or you know uh, the you know the book that we've got coming out here relatively soon is going to outline a whole bunch of stuff like that. And 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 or just listen to our podcast now. We have basically over the last two hundred episodes told you exactly how to start your own pi- podcast and all of the different things that you need. But okay, Kirk, to wrap up today's podcast, hold on. Podcasting, I know you want me to done because we're going on here, but podcasting changes the way that you can leverage marketing tools because you have your own content. Just think of what we're doing with podcasting right now. We're turning it into content. We're multiplying it into a little piece of content, little video snippets that promote each podcast. We're taking quotes, uh, either audio snippets or doing quote memes. Right, so you can do all these cool things, and then you can leverage them through these other tools like Snappy Crack and Advisor Stream, all, all kinds of other, um, you know, social media and digital marketing tools. That's level six, and I know what you're pushing me toward, which is level seven, right? Well, I want. I mean, the, the the last two levels here is where things are going, and I think if we're talking about evolution, part of what we do, and I think what we do very very well as a company, is we're always forward looking. What is the next step? Who has the next step, and and you know how can advisors take that next step? So level seven is micro influence, and we coined this term here at Top Advisor Marketing. And here's the definition, or or our definition, which is um, a micro influencer is an advisor or a firm, specific because that's who we're talking speaking to, that owns their expertise, a specific expertise with a specific audience in a specific region. This has kind of taken everything that's evolved, dumping it into one ideal or concept and saying, bring all these things together. So now level seven is about finding the most synergistic marketing, branding tactics, branding, everything that you can find, creating the synergistic uh, strategy where all these things help each other and therefore create way more business in your practice and your marketing than you could have done if you were doing them um, on their own. And that that focus of, of aiming towards philosophically trying to be a micro-influencer is what marketing has really evolved into. I think we might have been doing it all along, but now it's a thing. And hopefully everybody understands what we mean by micro-influence, embrace it, and, and make that the goal for your marketing going forward. Make that the focus. How do I create, how do I be that, you know, that, that advisor who owns that expertise, that specific expertise with a specific audience in a specific region? And if you can do that, you'll achieve a ton of momentum and success in your marketing and your business. 
and we'll make sure that we have all of the uh, the information on that uh, because obviously we we have a great solution for you. Um, but at the same time, we also need to pay very, very close attention that there are going to be other people who are going to be able to help you with the micro uh, If you can give me uh, uh, just a one one second, Kirk, uh, to make some uh, closing comments after well, yours. What, what do you got? Uh, what do you got there? for the closing closing comments? Marketing has evolved, and if you can't keep up and if you can't push the envelope, you're you're going to get left behind, and it's becoming more and more critical for an advisor to uh, be successful in their business, to differentiate themselves, to have a voice, to be your own loud. And so you can't take it lightly. You need to figure out how you're going to embrace the next level or era of, of marketing for financial advisors and jump on, jump on board and figure it out for yourself. And if you do want to know more about this, make sure that you check out our website. All right, Kirk, you ready to wrap it up? Yep. All right. Well, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, every time we come up with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And if you know somebody who needs to hear the advisor evolution of the advisor's brand, please make sure that you share this. If you have any ideas for us, all you have to do is send me a quick email at matt at topadvisorm.com, and I'll be more than happy to uh, talk to you about your ideas, or if you have any guest ideas too, that would be super awesome. So for everybody at Top Advisor Marketing, this is Matt Halloran and Kirk Lowe. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks, Matt. Bye, everybody. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.